Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear Performance. Hunting apparel, performance layering system. Hear about it every week on the podcast. And uh, with the new year upon us, if you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas from Scree, if nobody on your Christmas list hooked you up, or uh, Santa Claus didn't hook you up, or any of those things. I, um, speaking with the guys at Scree recently, they're very well stocked. Got a lot of new gear and inventory, so uh, you ought to be able to get some really good shipping times now that the holiday seasons are over. And our code LABH still applies for all regularly priced items. 20% off your first purchase at Scree. And uh, follow them on social media. Check out YouTube. You can see some of my own content there, as well as lots of other content that really inform you a lot about um, the specifics of the gear, what it does, um, what makes it stand out, what makes it different. Um, All of that stuff is out there. I encourage you to follow along with them and uh, take in some of that and make the decision for yourself. Quality gear. I know you'll like it. Check them out. Shop online. Screegear.com. Kyler, uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man. Did you have a Merry Uh, Christmas? Uh, yeah, I did. It was, uh, it was a good Christmas. My mom's in town and uh, hunted a lot, still hunting a lot. That's about it. Yeah. But I, I wanted to, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, a couple of things. Number one, how, how was your Christmas? It was good. It was hot, but it was good. Yeah. Same, same here. I, I'm uh, just too hard headed to let that go. So I just had to throw it in there. Uh, I want, 
you're willing to talk about it, can you give us like uh, an update on your son's hunting adventures behind the house, bow yeah. hunting, solo yes. bow hunting? Yes. Tell, tell us about that. Tell us what happened today. <laughs> no, you haven't seen the second update. It happened again today. It's happened twice today. No way. It happened okay, again right, at 5 me. o'clock. Yeah, so you guys that listen to the podcast, and you may have, if you follow and you watch, you probably saw where I video my son hunting a lot, and this is his first year to be able to bow hunt, like really bow hunt. And he killed a really nice buck um, on the day before Halloween. It was his first deer, uh, buck with a bow, and that was on our property down the road from our house. But we have a little bit of woods right in our backyard, just right off our yard. So since then, he's put him a stand up um, off the backyard and throwing a little corn out on the ground, and he put a, I put one of my cameras on it. This is back November, so uh, there's a lot of does and little scrubby spikes and stuff around the around the house that we even see them, you know, in the yard from time to time. Taking a lot of pictures of those, and he's, uh, hey, Daddy, you know, what should I shoot? I'm like, buddy, he's 13, you've shot one deer with a bow. Shoot what you want to shoot. If it's legal, shoot it, you know? Like, enjoy it. Make, don't make it, you know. But I did tell him, I said, look, man, there's there's six or seven does around here all the time, and they eat your corn every day, and you get pictures of them. If you wait around, a nice buck's probably going to show up closer to the rut. So he got a cellular camera for Christmas. And and I got him the cellular camera very specifically because he has my cellular camera apps on his phone, so he sees all my cameras that are scattered out on all the different places I hunt so as well. So do you, do you get the photos, or does he get the photos? We both get them. We both are logged okay. into the app on our individual cell phones. Okay. Which is kind of a cool father-son thing because it's one of the things that we talk about every day. He's like, Daddy, did you check the cameras? Did you see that buck? Did you see those deer? Did you see that, you know? Uh, got a picture uh, the other day of a bobcat with a rabbit in his mouth. And he was like, did you see that bobcat with that rabbit in his mouth? You know, just stuff like that. That's cool. And so, we, you know, we both logged in uh, to the app on our phones. And, and so, got him a cell cam so he could put it back here on his stand. Obviously, I don't hunt back there. It's just one little chunk of woods off our backyard that borders up to another small block of woods and then the highway and it's not you know it's nothing just his thing place for him to learn you know and i've talked you know talked to you about it so we go back there on christmas day to put up his cell camera and we pull the old camera out of the woods and check it and there's a really i mean i'm just gonna say a big buck not a nice buck a big buck yeah there's no asterisk there's no it's not like nice for x it's not nice for X Parish. It's not nice for backyard. It's a nice buck anywhere. Anywhere. Like, <laughs> anywhere that you see a buck. Yeah, it's like nice it is buck. a stud yeah. eight point. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, when I told you if you were just patient that a nice buck, I'm thinking like, you know, a nice little rack buck's going to show up back here in my backyard chasing these does around. This thing's it's bigger than anything I got on camera at my property down the road. And it's there in the daylight, like three three times the week of Christmas. And he so he's like camped out, you know. And who blames him, right? I mean, there's there in the daylight. He's camped out, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so today is the first day that he didn't go hunting because he had made <laughs> made plans with a friend of his to uh, just go hang out because they're on holiday break from school. So he got up this morning. My wife dropped him off at his buddy's house for the day while she went to work. And at 9 o'clock, the deer is standing right in front of his camera. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he stood there for 20 minutes eating corn. Oh, that's painful. So, my, my wife, this is the part you don't know. I sent you those pictures. Um, what you don't know is my wife got home with him at about 5.30 this afternoon, and the deer was at that time 
in front of his stand. It had been there oh since 5 God. o'clock. It came back at 5 o'clock and ate for 15 or 20 minutes in the day. So either morning or afternoon hunt today, conceivably, if he didn't get smelled or, bon- or busted or something, he might sure. have got a shot. But it is not just that. Another shooter showed up at 945 this morning. <laughs> front- oh, my God. So he had three bucks. Between 9 and 9.45, passed his camera on the first day he hadn't hunted since he put his camera out on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that's so painful, man. That's, that's, He's learning. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I, well, all right. I, I I wanted to ask you that because we need we need to talk about the weather. We yeah. haven't really mentioned it much, and it's not – for some reason, it's not being mentioned as much online. It should be, in my opinion. But this weather is bullshit. Yeah. And, uh, th- like, I mean, it's 76 degrees today, and it is New Year's, almost New Year's Eve. It was 82 um, at my house when I got uh, when I, I got home at 3 o'clock this afternoon. When I got in my truck, the, now, granted, you know, the thermometer, when it's sitting in the parking lot, the thermometer's through the roof. But still, my truck was 99 degrees at 3 o'clock this afternoon when I got in it. 99 degrees. And then it, it was 82 like actual temperature outside was eighty two degrees. Well, let me let me tell you what's been interesting because I've been hunting all week. Um, I uh, when I worked when I was corporate when I worked for corporate corporation um, Christmas the week between Christmas and New Year's was always a wash. It was always just like a, why am I here? Why didn't I take my vacation type of day? And so when I started my own company and I started getting bigger and we got employees and blah blah blah, I made it a policy. Hey, we're closed. Go enjoy your time with the family. I'm going to go hunting. Um, you know, if you're from Texas, go back to Texas. If you're from Atlanta, go back to Atlanta. And, and ha- it's a free week off. Just go do your thing. So we've been closed this whole week. And I've been hunting out of principle this week just because I've been planning on it all week long. But also, it's the rut in my area where I'm hunting. And um, I, I've been hunting not – super hard i did accidentally make an all-day hunt yesterday uh i'll go into more detail on that um but i have been seeing a lot of buck activity on stand but almost all of my cameras are dead like dead as a doornail nothing moving dead and um i mentioned a little bit about that last week on the podcast and then i've got a whole nother week of that under my belt to kind of elaborate on so yesterday i go and hunt this area that i've been waiting for this week all year to go in and hunt it and i know it's right my cameras are popping off the last two weeks in there so i decided to hunt it on a south wind versus what i really wanted to hunt which is the north wind this is a spot that i killed my buck um on december 27th which was yesterday when we were uh, well two days ago excuse me um and Today's the 30th? I don't even know. Today's the 30th. Uh, sorry. Okay. So it's it a long time ago, a couple of days ago. And uh, But I killed my buck from the ground, my last buck of the season, last year on December 27th at like 3.05 p.m. And so I've been hunting this spot on north wind, kind of a, not, I don't say a bad wind. It's not a bad wind. I'm not blowing the spot out, but having to come in with a different game plan that I was intending to this week. Um, and I hunted hunted a spot and i saw eight deer all day and i saw six of them by 11 o'clock and um two of them were hammer bucks hammer eight points like probably 
I don't know, 130, 135 class eight points. They were together. I didn't know they were together. So, um, that's a quick story. I'm on stand. I saw a little, a little, uh, little basket six point at daybreak. It walked, it kind of did a circle around me and moved on. And then I saw a doe. Um, and then at nine forty-five, ten o'clock, I saw this buck about 80 yards to my east, which is my left. And, um, so I can't get my grunt call out and, I'm sure we're all guilty of this. You know, when you see a deer, I don't know if y'all do this, but when I grunt at a deer at a distance, I like to look through my binoculars when I do it. Like yeah. I'll, I'll hold my binoculars up and I'll watch. I want to see how he reacts. Right. I don't just want to see him turn his head, but like a lot of times if a buck's really like doesn't want to be bothered or he's like really going in a direction very intently, he'll just turn his ears back towards you. He won't actually like turn and his head and face you. And I want to see that. So I'm looking at him through my binoculars. And um, I only see this one buck. And so I, I go, bah, nothing. A little louder. Bah, nothing. And, and, like, after the fifth round of this, I sound like I'm playing a flute pretty much. And, like, just, like, screaming through this grunt call, trying to get any reaction out of this buck because he's not hearing me at all. Well, on that last, what sounds like a, a, a goose honk, a Canada goose honk of a grunt call, I see the bottom of antlers coming through me at the bottom uh, in my binoculars. And it's another buck that I never saw coming in to kick my ass. And um, I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't see that buck there. So he gets to like 40 yards, catches my wind, kind of goes into my wind wind direction and and, um, stops and locks up. And he's looking, 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 looking for me. And um, doesn't come any closer. Um, and I'm hunting with a, uh, I'm hunting with the, the trad bow. I'm not hunting with my, my compound. I don't even know if I could have shot him with the compound from just our situation. But anyway, so they end up moving on. They don't get any closer. They, they end up going back into the thicket. Um, I climbed down at 11 o'clock, moved to where they were because I was planning on moving my stand, coming back in the afternoon, like in an hour and a half, and then um, hunt the rest of the day. And I move my stand over there. I'm like halfway setting up my stand. I'm on my top stick about to put my stand on. And a spike walks by at 11.15. And then at 11.20, right when I finish putting – this is when I, when I say I accidentally hunted all day yesterday. Right when I finish hanging my stand and I'm like setting it on the tree, cam locking it down, I get one of my cameras dings from about 150 yards away. And it's, it's like another hammer eight point, not one of the two that I just saw. Just at 11.20 in the morning, walking around, middle of this blue that's dry. And um, and so I was like, well, guess I'm, I had I had a tuna packet in my backpack, and I had a barbecue uh, Vienna sausage. I was like, well, there's lunch. I guess I'll just stay here, you know. And uh, they, I did, the story doesn't end very like nothing else happens. I see two more deer that day. They're both out of range. None of them were really shooters. And um, but they're moving is my point. It's a long story to say that they don't really care. Like they they yeah. might they they might be a little more like at the bookends of the day, like regular season. But I'm also getting a lot of midday activity on those cameras. The problem is they aren't patternable. And and maybe I'm learning this as I, you know, hunt places that has higher rut action, rut activity, like actual chasing and re- responsiveness to calls and stuff. Yeah. But 
they they're just they they aren't on my camera, but they are undoubtedly on their feet. Um, and I, so yeah. I, you know what I mean. I like got the same thing. Partner, I got the my same thing. Partner is like, well, I, I'm not gonna go. I don't have anything on camera, and I'm like, no, you need to go. Yeah. Like you you gotta you gotta get out there, bro. They they are out there. They just aren't in front of your rice bran pile or whatever. And that's that, that's not what I'm hunting. I'm hunting funnels and, and pinches and scrapes and stuff. But I still they're not going yeah. to those places. It's really odd. Um, it's like t- the cameras. I might as well not even have them out. But you sit on stand and you see eight deer. So I um I the only, I've been busy this week, and the only day I hunted this week was Monday. And um, I saw two eight. Neither one of them, one. I passed one. One of them I couldn't get a shot at, and he was too small uh, for what I wanted to shoot. The next one was borderline, and I passed him just because private property, and you know, just looking for a bigger deer. But he was a, a decent eight point chasing does or chasing a doe. Well, one of them, the, the smaller one, was really chasing the doe, grunting, carrying on. The 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 bigger one was trailing along right behind him. Um, that's the only day I hunted, but I'm in the same, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing the same thing. And it's interesting you brought that up because today I came home and I made the decision that I've got three cellular cameras on trails and scrapes and none of them have taken a picture in three days or two days, yeah. two and a half days. And I'm like, so I made the decision instead of going hunting this afternoon in 82 degrees on December the 30th, I went and, um, checked on these cameras like formatted the cards made sure there was nothing wrong with them first of all and moved them around a yeah. little bit because i'm like i mean even if they're not in a good spot in two and a half days i should have got a picture of a doe walking by or something you know um so uh but yeah but in saying that you know uh it rained a little bit this week and just in my i spent a couple of hours on my place moving some cameras around and stuff and i checked a few cameras that aren't cell cameras, and there's some activity, and there's a lot of sign, a lot of fresh scrapes on the ground, a lot of tracks in the, you know, in the mud where it's rained recently, and so I agree with you. Um, I don't know the patterns are all off. I think they're just kind of all over the place and and very unpredictable, in in a lot of cases. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I agree. I think uh, I think it, it's def it's crazy too because social media is such a barometer for us and everything in life nowadays but it, it, it's that way really with uh with the, because if you watch social media the different hunting groups around the state and different places i mean there's people killing and getting trail yeah. cam pics and 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 witnessing seeing from stand lots of deer even though the weather is absolutely horrible absolute so, garbage so yeah. Uh, yeah i think it's definitely a time to hunt and i think the uh the front that's pushing through sunday or saturday night and Sunday and Monday might be really good. Um, well, unfortunately, I'm getting really, really good use of my three early season pants right now. Uh, <laughs> very frustrating. Early That's season a, on. De- like, but I, I feel horrible. I kind of feel bad for all the people that bought all the new late season stuff <laughs> they came out with this year. <laughs> yeah, like, like me, you like my like my tarmacan pants. That, that, yeah. That they, yeah, got here today or I had a buddy of mine yeah. the other day. He's like, "Man, I got all this." He he bought the uh, the bibs and a jacket, uh, the you know the really cold weather stuff uh, right before Christmas. He's like, "Man," it, just kind of jokingly, he's like, "I got all this super nice scree gear, you know," and uh, uh, something about you know just some I don't know what the joke was. He made a joke about it, but he can't wear it. And I was like, "Well, don't worry, it'll be freezing in February." <laughs> Hey, let me. Let, this is off subject, 
Um, but I follow a lot of duck hunters or just like a byproduct of following some of my friends and people in my network. They, they post duck hunting stuff. Um, some of them are, I know for a fact, posting pictures from last season or earlier this season. Now, treating it like now, because they'll be, they'll be in full Ditka, like it's 31 degrees outside. And I'm like, dude, I'm, it was 67 degrees at 5 a.m. this morning. You were not wearing that in flooded temper. I'm sorry. You should be in a yeah. T-shirt. Like, this yeah. should be like teal season. And I think some of the waterfowl people are lying. And I think they've been lying for a long time and posting pictures <laughs> from other hunts. And now they're getting busted because, like, I'm taking notice of the fact that, like, bro, it's been 70-plus every day for eight days. You didn't kill those mallards in the in the swamp this morning, dressed like it's you're ready to go on an exploration in the on, on the, the South Pole. Yeah. You know that that didn't happen today. I was born at night, but not last night. Yep. So um, anyway, so I had to say that we're gonna get to our guest. I got a great segue. Got a great segue. Our guest today Perfect. is Brian Anders, the owner of the taxidermy shop. Um, you hear we've done some advertisements for brian on the podcast and uh we're gonna jump and talk to brian in just a second but let me give you the segue okay um it is currently as we are talking it is 7 54 p.m and i have my moultrie app pulled up and the last picture i have of my son's deer is at 7 51 <laughs> so <laughs> the deer i have it set to send auto as soon as it takes a picture the deer is back and he has been he has been there since seven sixteen and he just it just sent me a picture at seven fifty three of him. He is I am sitting in my office recording this podcast at seven fifty five and the last picture came at seven fifty three. He's currently about two hundred yards from me eating Nate, <laughs> Nate's buck bait. <laughs> That's funny. We'll see if he can get so the segue is this. He's got he you know now with all these pictures today he's he's determined he's hunting tomorrow. If he kills him, I'm gonna have to call Brian because he's that big. So with that being said, Brian, thank you for listening to us talk for all that time. How you doing, man? Thank you for joining the call. Doing good. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we we tend to start talking and and just go on and on and on. Our guests every week are brought to you by our friend Brian Chamberlain, the Chamberlain Lending Team with Movement Mortgage. And if you're in need of a residential loan, primary or secondary vacation investment, cash out, rate reduction, renovation for add-ons, any of these kind of needs, contact Brian. Nobody does better. Low credit scores, potentially 0% down, and the Movement Mortgage, 42% of their profits go towards charitable organizations through the Movement Foundation, and that sets them apart. Brian is licensed in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, NMLS number 114586, and Movement Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, NMLS ID number 39179. Yeah, so, um, yeah, if, if if he's able to kill this deer, you're going to have, I've already got several things at your shop, and, um, right, right. and uh, we're going to end up with another one, because this one's bigger than the last one he killed in October, a lot bigger wow. than the one wow. he killed in October. But uh, so how how's your season going, man? Well, going good, going good for a lot of a lot of people around the area. Like he was saying about the weather, it's uh it's not affecting the deer movement. Uh, they're actually they're 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 on their feet and they're they're hitting the ground around here. I'm 
I'm taking in a few bucks a day at least. Uh, they're they're doing they're moving. See that nice. that's crazy. Well, that's one of the things that I had really thought about um, when we were prepping for the episode. I thought that's like one of the questions I wanted to ask. I think it's kind of a cool dynamic. A taxidermist is a great person to get info from because you are talking to so many people. A diverse right. Diverse, you know, from private land hunters to public land hunters to heavily managed to hunting clubs, you know, you're you're getting a real, you know, you're you're kind of like the you're right right there uh, in line with the uh, the deer processor guy. You you get all the stories. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I get I get to hear how they were killed and when they were killed, and it definitely I guess it could you know help out uh, a lot of people knowing what to do and where to go and what to you know. Well, it's a lot of. A lot of a lot of strange you know you hear a lot of things uh people killing giant bucks and food plots in the morning time it's just it's i guess just a weird time of year you you just really got to be there like y'all were saying about the cameras my cameras are the same way i mean it's just like they're dead but then you go out on stand you see eight bucks or, or not eight bucks eight deer and they never cross your camera's path you know it's just yeah i don't just know gotta be out there i think I, I made the it might have been on the last podcast um Maybe it was, but I made the comment that I often think about this time of the year, and when I when I kind of imagine the deer movement, I imagine it like kind of the way a tracking dog works. They just kind of work in odd formations because they're trying to cross a trail and pick it up mm-hmm. and start following it. So they don't have a pattern. They don't use the trails where your cameras are. You know, they obviously aren't focused on food. That's not their focus at all. Right. So. You know, if you if you have your cameras and stuff on on popular pinch points and trails where you always have deer, right now they're 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 kind of crisscrossing and figure eighting and going all over the place when they're on their feet because they're trying to crosswind or or, or somehow pick up the scent of a doe, and so they're just completely different than what a tip any typical pattern you may have. So, yeah, yeah. That, my question was going to kind of be more, but you kind of answered it was going to kind of be more along the lines of, you know, uh, increase or decrease with the weather. But I guess you're saying that it seems to be it's, what it it's, should it, be. I, I would rut. say it, yeah. I would say it, even with all the hot weather we've had, it's the, the deer have been hitting the ground a lot better than, you know, they were a month ago. You know, it's it's just been every day. And I'm actually really looking forward to this cold front coming. I'm actually thinking about I may need another freezer because, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, – I, I mean, they're coming in this good with the hot weather. I'm expecting a, I'm expecting it to get pretty good when the weather changes. I actually saw you the other day, and I started to stop and speak to you, but I was I was in I was on my way somewhere, and I was in a hurry. But I saw you parked at a gas station, and there was like three or four dudes standing around. I figured you somebody must have dropped off a big buck, and you had it in your truck because there was a bunch of people standing around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I met I met a guy at Vines. Hey, I'll I'll meet you anywhere. You call me with a big deer, I'm coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. or anything for that matter well, that, that's yeah. where you were so that's probably what it was yeah yeah it was a, it was 11 point in the back of the truck at the time yep yeah well that's um so you do uh, you know obviously louisiana bow hunter podcast we talk mostly about bow hunting and archery you're uh mm-hmm. you bow hunt a pretty good bit right oh yeah oh yeah i always have well one of the things we like to always ask people uh, regardless of where they're coming from, you know, you're a taxidermist and we talk to lots of different people, biologists and just deer hunters and stuff. But we always like to ask people, you know, what kind of bow are you shooting? What's your setup? You know, what's your archery setup? Well, it's kind of crazy. It's not no great story or anything, but it's actually the bow I started really bow hunting with 20 years ago, probably when I was 17, I guess. I got a Matthews MQ1. That was my first real bow to hunt with. 
and I used that bow for years, did well with it, hunted all over, shot a lot of stuff with it, had fun with it. And I just felt like one, one day, one year, I said, you know, I think I need to move up. They had made so much innovations and everything in, in bows. And said, I'm going to go get me a brand new one. So I went and got me a brand new Matthews. And uh, it, was a, it was a smaller, shorter bow. And it just never really, I, I hunted with it for several seasons. It just never, never really fit me that well. And uh, I ended up picking up bad habits and this and that. And I said, one, one year, I said, you know what? I never had a problem with my old bow. I'm going back to it. And I went back to shooting that old bow. And that's, that's probably been six years ago. I went back shooting it and uh, picked right back up where I left off. That's pretty cool because we, you know, a lot, there's a lot of different conversations that we find ourselves in where it, it kind of ends up getting said, or I end up saying this a lot because it comes to mind for me a lot. Is like, we, we, we think about all these different things and we consider all these different things as it pertains to new equipment and innovation and technology. And we forget the fact that we were, we being just the general hunting public, I mean, people were very successful with things that we we might not even consider shooting compared against what what's out there nowadays. And and you know, Indians killed a lot of deer, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, with a stick and string. So that's cool. I'm I'm um, Kyler. Kyler has a, a a bad habit of trying to make things as hard as he can. He hunts with a damn longbow. So yeah, you know. yeah. I've I've been hunting with it a lot recently. Like I've been hunting with it almost exclusively since you left uh camp um and uh i haven't haven't gotten a shot at a deer i've seen a lot of deer but i haven't had anything 20 yards or under that i wanted to i wanted to sling something at but i'm pretty damn good with that thing now man like for real <laughs> i'm not kidding you like i, I watched I, you shoot I, at the camp you, yeah you it's, it's uh, i feel i have total confidence in it my my real um my real issue with it now is i'm i'm with the rut and like watching these deer like literally run by, I don't know if I could get a lethal shot off shooting real fast at one, like or stopping one or something. So I actually I, um, I went back to my compound uh, this morning. I I got some Grim Reaper broadheads. I sent you a picture of that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of wanted to shake some things up and um, and, and change gear, but um, but yeah, I, I'm making a few changes now what, what's interesting about you shooting your uh, say old bow is I mean, you do that out of confidence right it's just what fits you well and um and what you have ultimate confidence in and um you know uh, levi madden's dad still shoots a, a hoyt from God, i don't know what I, I could guess the model it's got to be from mid to early 2000 uh, mm-hmm. like like maybe 2004 2005 and then um our buddy David DeLucci, he's still shooting like a, a Q2 or something. Yep. Um, he's got a Q2 Matthews with a Hoyt quiver on it. Yep. Um, and uh, it's pretty pretty funny setup. But he's like, I, I, I don't think he's still shooting aluminum arrows, but but he's like he's like, why why would I upgrade? He's like, this is what I kill deer with, kill a machine. Um, and I was talking with Chase Matt yesterday about. He's like, listen, I've got a Z7. I don't know a damn thing about my arrows. I shoot Grim Reaper broadhead, and I practice about four times before every season. And I kill deer, and it's just what he's like. That thing's like a, a third arm, and so whatever, whatever you feel ultimate confidence in, I get that, man. Yeah, it's uh, that a big part of archery. Me. It's a huge part of archery. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So I'm curious, Brian, what broadhead are you shooting? 
Uh, Grim Reaper, Hunter Green. Well, you're smart, A. Um, oh <laughs> I'm their biggest spokesperson, and I don't have anything to do with them other than being a consumer. But yeah. uh, I'm curious, you know, did you has your broadhead selection changed going from the older bow? Like when you shot the newer, obviously your newer bow, I'm sure it was faster. You know, did right, right. did you did you modify your broadhead selection because of you know going back to a slower bow or anything like that? No, I, I just kind of changed. I, I I had a broadhead I was in love with, used it for years. I mean, worked phenomenal. And then all of a sudden, it just—I don't know if they—they they just weren't making them as well or what. But I started having pass-throughs, and I would—I would end up with no blades when it exited. Hmm. And, and I went through that for a little while, and I—I I think I—I—I I, I tra- tried to transition to Rage, and I, they didn't work for me as well as others, you know. So I ended up shooting this, and I've had—I've had great success with them. So yeah, that's, that's what I've stayed with. Do you know which—do you know which which models do you shoot? Which which uh, ones like I the two-inch white tail special? The, that's right that's it mm-hmm. razor tip that so that's what i just i just got two packs of those locks mm. and then you sent me the one and three quarter inch that's what you shoot yeah but those the one and three quarters are not in stores anywhere it's the, it's the model number 1904 i had to order those online mm. um and so i've you know i've i've been saying this can be an experiment because i shoot light arrows in a really fast bow like i'm shooting 326 and so i i'm pretty sure i have enough ass to open that two inch broadhead but i'm probably going to end up sticking with the one and three quarters like middle ground um yeah. because I, I i was shooting i was shooting last night out to 45 yards at, like a, at the field in my house i got a, I my headlights out some target out there or not in my house at the camp and i had a thing out to 50 yards shooting the practice tips that it comes with and yeah. you know shooting three inch groups with my field points with that with that um with that thing man i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty excited about it i'm, I'm not gonna lie i'm looking forward to yeah that. um yeah so i've i've actually had i've used both i've used the two inch um and I, mostly the ones that i sent you the one and three quarter razor tip i've used the two inch i've bought a pack of those and i've shot them and if i'm being honest i i couldn't really tell any difference but if with that being said, I'm not really sure how I expected um, much improvement because I was completely satisfied as it was. But I just wanted to try them, and they were about the same thing. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm 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 more comfortable with the middle ground, and it's not like I'm seeing something that just drastically changes my mind here. So, um, I so Brian, you're a taxidermist. It's kind of an interesting. It's an interesting. Uh, uh, a question to ask here: These big, huge, gaping cut broadheads. If you get something that gets cut up, up into the front of the shoulder, I mean, is that a major problem for you as a taxidermist with the, the way no. these things slice? No, it can it can be fixed. Not a big problem. Okay, I I I've often wondered because you know I believe in killing the animal first and then I worry about that later. Yeah. Well, I I I've, I I've, I've just I, I shot a deer one time and I'm actually looking at the at the mount here in my office and it was a hard quarter in a way um hard and I don't know what happened honestly even how this happened maybe it was just the complete angle of it but the arrow actually went in good um behind the shoulder quarter and away from me but it came out like between 
you know that you know the the kind of tuff of hair at the brisket before yep. it really curves under the like the bottom of the throat, so to speak, before it curves under the into the chest. Yeah. Like between there and the white patch, the arrow, the the Grim Reaper was actually sticking out of his throat. Huh. It went, you know, and I was, and, it, and of course it was a pretty good exit, and you know, but you can't tell. I mean, the, the taxidermist did a really good job, and I can tell where it's at because I know where it was. But right, I I don't know. I just I'm always. This is a good a good a good kind of way to start off some of the questions about taxidermy. I'm always. I'm always trying to be extremely careful and meticulous about how I cut. Right. But, you know, it, it, in terms of the process, at least in your opinion, I mean, how much how much leeway do you really have? I mean, how much how, how bad's it really got to be for you to not be able to fix it? I guess the, I guess that would the, the best answer that would be the length of it. I mean, I you know, a lot of times I get them in and they're just they're just right there at the at the edge of being enough hide and the rest of the hide, I'm sure, is out in the gut pile somewhere. Just, I mean, just bring me the whole hide if you have to. You know, just, I mean, you can go halfway behind, you know, halfway down your deer, make mm-hmm. your ring all the way around it, cape it that way if you'd like, or just, just start skinning like you normally would, skin it all the way from the back and just bring me the whole hide if you want to. There's no, really no need in trying to, you know, decide where that line is to make a, make your cut. And I, I get them in up there. They'll be pretty butchered up at times, but uh, then again, I'll see people that, like I said, a lot of some people they'll just bring the whole the whole hide, and that's fine. I can I can cut it where I need to cut it. That way, you know, it ensures you to have enough hide for your form. As far as repairing cuts and stuff, that can be time consuming. It's just uh, really that, that there's no extra cuts to, to really even be made. If you made if you made yourself one ring around that belly, then you just cut your front legs off. You just just cape him all the way down to his neck. When you're working on the neck, get as low as you feel comfortable. Whenever you feel like you're you're getting too far down, just just chop it off, and I'll, I'll take care of it from there. If you want to go all the way to the back of the head, go all the way to the back of the head. It's just uh, just, and and I'm here. There's plenty of videos out there. If you don't know, you know, if it's your first year or whatnot, look up how to do it. Call me. I can tell you how to do it. I have people call me. Ask me how to do it. I'll tell them over the phone how to do it. If you want to bring it to me, bring it to me. I'll skin you deer for you. I've done that too. So, yeah, I would think, given your line of work, I've never done it, but I would imagine it, you almost prefer that. It probably makes your the whole process probably easier if you if you do it from start to finish, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You I, the way you people, want have, to. Like I said, I've had people call and do either way, and I don't mind at all. Bring it out, we'll skin it. You can watch me do it. You'll know how to do it next time. You know. Kyler, have you ever caped a deer out for taxidermy? Um, one time, I only have one mounted one. It's the one that Harmon did for me that I shot Tunica a couple of years ago. But yeah, that's the only one. Yeah. Um, that's it. I don't. I don't even think about it. It's not even a thought process to me. It's like, oh, I need to save this cape for a deer. <laughs> I don't care how big it is. I'm probably just gonna hang the antlers in my rafters. Um, but but yeah, I, I had we shot. A buddy of mine shot a big six point last week, and um, I think the heart, like like you said, cut the neck off, leave it in there. I'll take care of it, or take it all the way back to the back of the head. It, it, not to sound like a, you know, a, a, like I can't handle it or anything, but it gets it. If you get a big neck buck, it gets hard to get down all the way to the back of that head while while yeah. that neck's still on the body. It, like yeah. it's hard to maneuver in there. You start 
start like gaining a quarter inch at a time on each slide, you know. Um, that, that gets a little rough. Yeah, it gets tight. That that skin yeah. is a yeah. lot tighter and to the meat there than it is anywhere else. Yeah, I would but, imagine, um, Brian. I would imagine. I'm sure you can fix it, but that's probably not the place where you want to accidentally cut through, right? No, you don't. And I, I see a lot of it, especially in the brisket area or the neck area. That's where it'll be a lot of just. It looks like people. What it is is when you're skinning down and you get down around that brisket area around those front legs. I mean, I, I see it. People just get, they don't really know where to make a ne- the next cut, and they just start kind of chopping away with their knife, and that's where that's where holes start. Mm-hmm. It'll be just holes all in the brisket. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't, there's ways to go about it. Like I said, if you cut that front leg off, you know, about halfway down there by the knuckle, if you just cut that leg off, and you can do that with your knife, just, just cut that joint. When you're caping down, if you have trouble around that brisket or that front leg area, what I'll do is I'll just take my knife and, and run it behind that shoulder blade, and I'll just I'll just pull that shoulder blade right up, just just like pulling a sock. You know, I'll just pull it pull that leg right up through there. Yeah. And uh, then you can just go ahead and finish on down. It's it's it works out pretty good that way. It's I've learned I've learned that it's something that can be kind of daunting, but after you do it a few times, it get it is definitely something that gets easier the more you do it it's just yeah. there's just certain little things you learn to expect and you learn to do and it's not nearly as difficult and i don't think it's difficult i think what it is is the person that is is hunting and let's just you know assume the the deer camp scenario mm-hmm. here you know you're at the camp with your buddies and you you kill a, a buck that you're gonna mount so you've obviously this is an exciting moment, you know. I mean, yeah, you've killed yeah. the, a big buck. Maybe it's one that you've been after. There's a lot of emotion and excitement attached to that, and now you're cutting on it with a knife, and and yeah. you're so you're very nervous. I, I, I that's the that's the impression that I feel like you know. Some speaking to someone who's not done it very often, they're like, "Oh crap! I finally killed this deer. Finally going to get that mount on my wall that I've been wanting." And now I got to start cutting on it, and and I think it's and that. And they're more than likely rushing through it, and they more than likely have five people looking over their shoulder, and they're nervous, you know, whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it's an anxiety, uh, anxious type thing, I think. But, yeah. but uh, what are some other things that, like, you know, if you could, if you could, if you could give a uh, just a kind of a high level, broad do's and don't list for somebody, you know, from let's let's start from the moment. You 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 put your hands on that deer. You know you shoot you shoot the deer, you trail the deer, you find the deer. It, the, from the minute you decide, hey, I got to get this deer out of the woods, and I'm gonna get him mounted. What's yeah. what's like your primary do's and primary don'ts that you would tell somebody if they're planning to have a deer mounted? The, the very first thing when you get to him, of course, you want to make sure you're not pissing on. I mean, I know there's and I saw your deer down in that gully that you got out, but like. <laughs> There's certain situations where you got to get him out, how you got to get him out, but you definitely want to, you know, watch how you get him out. I mean, if you know it's a shoulder mount deer, if you've got to get help, get help. I mean, don't don't just go to dragging. You, what you're going to expose on the wall, don't just go dragging it through a gravel road and expect you're going to not lose hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you want to you want to pre- prevent those, you know, situations. Right. If you're frustrated with your property, the forecast for the season doesn't look too great, or maybe you've just decided it's time to move on and invest in your own property, contact our friend Slade Priest at Southern States Realty 
a part of the Realtree United Country Hunting Properties Network, the largest network of hunting and recreational real estate experts in America. Nobody in our area sells more, and Slade's not just a realtor. He's not just a real estate agent. He's a passionate outdoorsman that understands what the buyers and sellers needs. He knows how to put them together. He knows how to look at a piece of property and put the right people in the right place. Nobody sells more. You've seen him on outdoor TV. You see him on digital media. He spends his life in the outdoors. He's passionate about it, and it comes through in the results. If you're in the market, contact our friend, Slade Priest, the Hunting Land Man, huntinglandmanms.com. Check out all the new listings that he's posting on a regular basis, some exciting properties. Check them out, huntinglandmanms.com. As far as, I mean, we kind of talked a lot about caping, but um, are there, obviously you don't want things to rot, but, I mean, in terms of, is there an advantage to getting it cold quickly? Yeah, I mean, getting it taken care of quick, I mean, because you could run into hair slipping situation, but right now, I mean, the second something dies, the only thing that's got to be dead good, as high as it is, it's covered in flies, yeah. and they lay maggots, and that that's just another problem. I mean, and a lot of these hot deers that's been coming in, I mean, they, they there's no choice but to have them. I mean, they're coming in that way just because it's, I mean, it's that hot and they're just, you know, mm-hmm. it, it happens. But, I mean, in this type of weather, get it out of the woods. Treat every part of it that you're going to look at for the rest of your life. Treat that, you know, with, with some respect on your hide or whatnot. Get it out of the woods, you know, get it caped out properly. Either get it chilled fast or get it to me because when you, once it comes to me, I'm immediately, wherever I'm doing, I'm going to drop what I'm doing. I'm going to cape that deer out. I'm going to get it measured, rolled up in the freezer. Yeah. So, uh, but that's the main thing. If you've got freezer space, you go chunk that thing in the freezer. You know, give me a call. You know, if you want to wait a week, holler at me later. You know, just get it, get it, get it cold. Yeah. I, I know you obviously don't want, you know, you don't want to have to deal with, with the maggot situation or any kind of rot, but is there, and I, and I truly, I have no idea about this, but I'm sure you've seen it at every single stage from poorly cared for to very, very well cared for. Uh, you know, is there, is there, is there any kind of like loss of integrity in the skin, like any kind of breakdown that happens that makes it harder to, to, to. Absolutely. I would say, I would say main, main thing would be heat. Yeah. Yeah. Heat and bugs. I mean, just, just the that skin's not as strong, not as right. not as easy for you to tan. Well, and all once that. You, once you start once you start losing hair, you can't put it back. You know, it's it's gone. So mm-hmm. then you're looking at having to, you know, use another cape for your rack. So it, everything can be fixed in taxidermy, but uh, you you know you want to, I mean you want to you want to treat every everything, and we're talking about deer, but anything in general, you know. You kill a squirrel, don't don't run over and grab him by. You know, if you want to mount him, don't go and grab him by the tip of the tail and yank his tail. You know, just just care for things, ducks, whatever. Care for them like you want to mount them. You know, handle them in the field, all the way to the taxidermy shop. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, you want it to be yep. as, as pretty as it can be, and like you said, you can't replace if you, it. If you want the best product back, bring the best product, and that's that's the way I, I, I golly, I've gotten so much mount in my own life. It's not even funny, but. I, you know, I always feel like I'm bringing the person the best and, and that don't, and it's not always going to happen. You're going to have, I mean, you're going to shoot a bobcat with a 300 women. It's going to happen. I mean, just everything can be fixed, but just, just treat it, treat it like you want to mount it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just take care of it until it, until it gets here and I'll take care of it from there. So I know you, uh, I saw pictures and I, I've spoken to you personally. I know you made a trip up to Missouri and hunted this year and, 
Mm-hmm. Y'all killed a few deer. Talking about that, um, are you know what what are some of the things that you need to consider if you're having to, you know, you're on a hunting trip with the buddies for a week and you've got a you got to tend to that deer. I mean, is it is is it bad that it sits in you know kind of icy water or whatever? Yeah. I mean, what do you what's the best thing you can do if it's gonna be you don't have a walk in freezer, you don't have a deep freeze, you've got a cooler and you're on the road, you know. With, yeah. So, what are so we've, all ran, we've all ran into this situation hunting out of town and you may just run up for a weekend out of town, but what you want to do is either, either know a, know a local guy, local taxidermist, or, or, you know, learn yourself to, you know, properly care for your hide. So if you kill, if you kill a buck, you want to mount, I'm, you know, find a local taxidermist you can go down there too, and they can skin it out properly for you so you can drive back. But the main thing is, you know, just get that if you can, if you have, if you, you know, if you have the, if if you can get that tape skin out, rolled up in a freezer and solid froze, whenever you get ready to go home, it'll, it'll be just fine in an ice chest with no ice on it. If it's froze solid, you're good to go. It's like if a Thanksgiving not, turkey, huh? Take forever. Yeah, to thaw yeah. Out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But if you're in a situation where there's no freezer, nothing like that, just pack it in an ice chest on ice. But but you got to keep that water drained off. Get it, get in a couple good garbage bags. Get it tied. Get it wrapped tight, and just get it on ice. And just keep that keep that water drained off. Keep keep it packed on ice till you can get back. Okay, that's good. I um people I I don't think people probably don't know this, and I kind of learned this myself. The deer that you have of mine that I killed in Missouri, um, there was a guy there right down the road from where we were hunting. An old man has been doing tax turn for a long time, and I paid him like twenty five dollars cash, and he went ahead and caped it off of the skull and all for me because you have to do all that when you're transferring. You can't. I, I couldn't just bring you the head. I had to. I had right. to debone it and all that stuff. And um, he told me, um, he said, "Tell your taxidermist." I can't remember what the number was, but he said seven and a half inches or something and so there's a measurement I, I don't this doesn't really matter i just people that may have not heard this there's a measurement that you do from the nose to the eye socket or something that determines what size form that you know i guess what size deer it is or something that's correct there's a there's a couple basic measurements that you're going to make and that's going to be the tip of the nose to the to your eye and then you know your your neck of course you want to take a few good measurements from that. That's going to determine the proper form to order. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 not a big thing that it's done before or after because when I thaw it out and I prepare the cape, it's it's got to be you know fleshed and tanned and everything's got to be. It's a lot of work in the prep work, so that that measurement can be taken at any time. But it, it is convenient, you know, that that some you know if it's written on there, it's you know it yeah. it, it could help. I I was really just more curious because I I'd often wondered, you know. Being being somebody myself that hunts um, in the Midwest, pretty much just about as much as I hunt it down here, really. I mean, I so I'm hunting different deer, you know, as far as body type and and you know when you you look at these forms and all, it's like I, I just never knew like how do you know how do they how do they fit that? And so that was uh, it's just interesting to learn that that the, how that measurement. I guess that just I guess that just defines the the shape and the That's shape right. and size of the face. That's right, and it, and it's important. It's important to make good measurement. Get you know, get you a good measurement that way. It's a lot less, lot less work when you in, instead of getting a form in that's not not the right one for your deer, and then you end up having to make a lot of adjustments. And it, it's better to make good measurements. You know, it yeah. helps out in the long run. 
So, what's score wise? What's the biggest deer you've gotten in this year? Uh, probably, I haven't scored the deer, but I've I've got a good one. He's uh, you know, I've got I've got a non typical that's pretty crazy too. He's he's a, he's a freak. I've got a lot of good deer in, but I I would say I've got I've got an upper one sixties typical in here. He's he's really nice. That and that's a local deer from Southwest mm-hmm. Mississippi or North Louisiana yep. area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some good. I've got some good out of state deer too. Some really good ones. I actually got quite a few states in here that's just came in. It's 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 been some good ones coming in for sure. A lot of good local deer too. Interesting. So, how um, you know at this point? I, I know you know it's you're early on in in your business as far as this is really your first full time year to to do this full time. But how far has your reach gotten? You know, it's like how far like how far is people going to bring you deer or are you mostly just local clientele uh let's see i've got i know i've got kansas in here i've got missouri i've got illinois i've got uh texas louisiana uh that's all i can think of off the top of my head as far as deer so have you ever done a full body mount have not done a full body mount is it i'm I'm sure just in in all of your training and stuff I'm, i'm sure you've learned some stuff about it huh Oh yeah, I fool so with everything. Yeah, what's I don't know anything about that. Like, I would assume if I'm gonna full mount body mount a deer, I need to just get him out of the woods and just bring him to you. Absolutely. <laughs> don't even touch him. You That's know, right. just get him to you and let the taxidermist tend to that because I can't even imagine what that caping process is like. Yeah, yeah, it's a job. Yeah, and I've I've done it. Now I've I've caped out. I've caped out. I've skinned out everything you can think of. I've skinned it out. But yeah, it, it'd be it'd be a job. You know. For our tax numbers, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, Brian, I've, I've got a question for you. I've wondered this. So when um, when you're sending uh, hides off to get tanned, um, are you – is the taxidermist responsible for fleshing them out, or does the tannery flesh them out for you? I don't send anything out. I do everything in-house. I, I do all the fleshing, tanning, everything. You, oh, you tan in-house. I didn't know that was possible. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. That's really cool. All right. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, well, I, I don't know if this is like a trade secret or not. This is more of just a question of mine. What type of tannins are you using? Because I know there's a lot of different um, uh, different ways to get tannins for tanning. I use acorns. I mean, hell, the mid- Middle Ages they were using urine. Um, uh. What what's like? Is it is it a synthetic? Is it is it a real tannin solution? I've always wondered what that concoction is. Like what's it made yeah, of? Yeah, it, it, well, I guess they kind of make it easier now. You can pretty much just order tannin solution out of a taxidermy supply store. But uh, okay. as far as as far as your mounts go, you know your deer heads and stuff. You're gonna have a. It's gonna be called what's a wet tan. So you're gonna tan it, and it, and it'd be different as if you was doing a rug. So you would do a, a dry tan. So it's a it's a little bit different uh, tanning process. As far as like if you did a rug versus a wet tan, which is going on a shoulder mount to dry in place, as mm-hmm. where a rug would be so- a soft tan. And we've been actually it's taking on a lot of those. Uh, we got a lot of people bringing in full, you know, skinning out a full. A lot, I mean, a lot of times when you skin out your deer, I know everybody does it. When you skin out a, a, a nice deer hide and you just throw it on the ground looking at it like, man, that's a nice egg. Bring it to me. Let me tan it out for you. You know, it's. That's that's really what I do this far is to preserve, you know, everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. 
that's cool. I, I didn't know that that could be done in in house. I always have heard that people are typically um, yeah, it's, it it's, like not, it's not a bad thing either way. I mean, a lot of people do send it to the tannery houses, and you know, there's there's good and bads on both ends. Uh, I guess if you you know if you, if you get I, I you know if you get a lot of uh, flow coming through to where you might have to do that. I mean, that's every everybody's different. But uh, mm-hmm. as far as long as I can do it in house, I'd rather just because I keep my hands on everything. That's I like to have that hide for that rack, for that bag, for that label. I just I like to keep everything organized, and I like to keep my hands on everything. You know, right now that's that's just the way I'm doing it. So very cool. All right, yeah, I've always wondered that. Thanks for answering that. I've uh, yeah. I've heard. At, at, at different different times, different deer I've had mounted. I mean, I've had text them say, "Yeah, I got it done. It's just drying." What? How long is that drying process typically? Typically seven to ten days. I mean, fourteen days is a good dry time, but uh, you know, a good solid week. You're pr- you're pretty much there. But I mean, I, I like to give it. I like to give it. A, I mean, a good fourteen days. Get a good dry. Is there much? Is there much change that happens? I mean, how much does it draw up or anything like that? It, it can. It can. It's just, it's kind of like, like I said, all in the prep work. It's just, uh, if you get it, if you, if you, if you do it right the first time and you watch it as it dries, I mean, it's hard to sit there and watch something dry. But if you're working in the shop, you know, you keep an eye on what you got lined up. And uh, if something does dry and go to move, you can, you can adjust it then and you can adjust it if it dries. But uh, it, it's I've, I've found if you can if you can get it like you want it when you mount it, you're gonna have a lot less problems down the road. And just like I said, keep an eye on it. Yeah. You know, fool with it while you're while it's in the drying process. Yeah. And then once it dries and you like what you got and you got a good dry, then you can go back over and do all your finished work and get it prepped and ready for the customer. And it's it's good to go home. Yeah. So Kyler, what's it gonna take for you to mount another deer? Because I know you've gotten in this mode of hanging them on your new camp porch but what i've got i've got customers that uh i mean they're not they're not in the shoulder mounts you know they they just they they just do skull mounts or they may just do horns on a plaque you know i mean it's everybody doesn't do shoulder mounts and for those people that kill giant bucks i love to get those capes i mean i hate i hate to see (laughs) a beautiful cape go to work yeah Yeah. what so what what'll it take honestly it'll take a really good story um i so the thing that well, this is, Brian, I know we've never met. I don't, I don't believe, but the the thing that you need to know about me is I, I started. Uh, I'm an adult onset hunter. I started deer hunting in my 20s, um, mm-hmm. and then and then as another just like really odd fact, just to give you another um, uh, view into my life and my exposure or non-exposure thing, I never grew up with a father figure in my life, and mm-hmm. so uh, and and so I I never started watching hunting shows. I never watch hunting shows. Like I'm, I'm watching my first Primos the Truth '74 right now at my camp for the first time ever. You know, Locke's watching these, Locke's watching these videos at my camp. He's like, yeah, I had that vest. Yeah, I had that call. Yeah, I had this. I had that 2004. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, oh, this is the first time I've seen this video. You know, and and so I never had exposure to all of the. Um, uh, you could say like nostalgia built in hunting stuff that's normal. Okay. Like the, my maximum exposure to the outdoors was watching Bill dance when I was 10 years old with my grandfather. And then that's about it. And so I never grew up 
with the goal of having shoulder-mounted gear. That was never something that I wanted. And the thing is, is that I, I don't think that people necessarily like want it, like a desire. It's just what you do with a good deer. You shoulder mount it. It is the next that you, 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 you hunt it all season, you kill it, and then you have it shoulder mounted and you look at it for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that has never, like, I know it sounds odd, but that has never been something that was uh, in my life. I'm not going to, and I'm not judgmental of it at all. What I'm saying is that I have a shoulder mounted deer and he's the biggest deer I've ever killed. But when I look at that deer, I feel nothing more or less towards that deer than I do the ones that are hanging in the rafters on the porch of my camp where I just cut the skull plate off and hung a tag on it with a couple of details, like the date, maybe what deer it was, a, a small detail, like, et cetera, you know, what, what bow kill number or something like that. Um, and so for me, I don't default to this, like, I got to get it shoulder mounted. Oh, it's my best eight point. It's got to get shoulder mounted. I'm more like, I would probably, and I'm not kidding you, I would probably shoulder mount a doe if it was the coolest story you've ever heard. Um, that's just how I am. Because if I, like, like our friend Michael Pepper has a 14 year old doe. If, if that was me, and he said he's going to shoulder mount her if he ever kills her. If that was me, I would shoulder mount a doe. Like if I had that many years of history and she'd be dodging me for that long and I finally won the game of chess, I would shoulder mount that deer. But if it's a 160-inch buck that I killed in Kansas and I passed up two 150s to get to a 160, that if it's just a, hey, it walked into 20 yards and I shot it story, I don't, I, in my mind, I don't need to look at that deer shoulder mounted the rest of my life. I need a story. Like, there has to be an experience built into there. That, that, that's the thing that would make me shoulder mount another deer. Yeah. So, so Brian, you, you don't know this, and we've mentioned it on the podcast, but some people may have never caught it before. It's unintentional, but it, you know, it, it's ended up being a good thing. Kyler and I, as, as the host of this podcast, we are polar opposites in a lot of ways as it pertains to this podcast. You know, Kyler is the public land, mobile style of hunter. I'm more of the private land, pre-hung set, manager style of hunter. And I'm the guy who grew up taking pictures with my dad's stuff when I was too young to hunt and, and immediately hunting as soon as possible. Um, Kyler is the guy who started hunting as an adult and, you know, so we're, we, we come at all of these topics from opposing, totally different yeah, perspectives. not, not always yeah. opposing, but just the, the, the polar opposite perspectives. So in this regard, so you, you paint the picture for me, I grew up in this, uh, you know, every day of my life looking at the few deer that my dad had mounted and dreaming about having my own one day. That was, that was me. You know, and then, then, then that carried into like, you know, we had a hunting club and there were a few deer mounted in the, in the, in the lodge at the hunting club. But then I'd get the chance to go somewhere on a hunt and you'd go to this, somebody's place and they'd have this room full of mounts. And it was just like, Oh my God, I want to have yeah. that one day. You know, you get to go on this special hunting trip and you go to this, your friend's place or somebody's place and they've got a hunting lodge and there's just a wall full of these beautiful shoulder mounts and all this taxidermy and you're like, man, and I have that now. 
You know, I have an office at my house that's detached from from the house that uh, you know I have all my stuff in, and I've got I don't know what I have in here. Um, three, six, nine, fifteen mounts, and then you've got a couple that you're working on for me right now, and it's I don't I you know like I to I don't know I don't really think any way of it other than it's just. I don't know. I, I it just coming from a different background. But out of those fifteen you're looking at on the wall, I bet you could tell me what time you killed every one of them. Oh yeah, they're, they're all the, they're the all greed was that day. It is. That, that's, that's 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 what you want to remember when you look at it. You know, it really is. I mean, I you know, it's um, it's really cool that uh, that that part of it is really cool, and I and I'm happy to say that of all the mounts that I have, I only have. Uh, one mount in here that doesn't have its own cape and it's the deer the the infamous deer that's been talked about on this podcast many times i shot it two years ago in louisiana on december the 19th and it went into uh, the neighbor's pond and Mm. i didn't find it didn't float up for five days Mm. and i and and i found it on on the morning of christmas eve it was floating in the pond and it Mm. was really cold and here's the here's the the catch of it all, man. This is the crazy part of it all. That was talking about completely opposites. That year it was actually good weather. This time of the year, not it was cold. It that year it was cold. It was it was frost on the ground on Christmas morning, and it was cold that whole week. And the day I shot it, it was in the 30s that morning. And every single night it got down around freezing that whole week. And basically, the pond was, it was a big pond, but it was shallow. So the water was really cold, and the deer didn't bloat for five days because of, uh, you know, just the the temperature. So it took it a long time to float up. And when I found it, honestly, I went right after daylight. I was going to the office to do a few things and then off, off to do Christmas Eve stuff with the family. So I wasn't going to work all day. I was just going in for a couple hours. So I swung by the pond. I did that every day. Um, from the from the time I blood trailed it to the pond, I kept going back every day. The landowner gave me permission to go check. And, uh, you know, the crazy thing about it is the deer didn't bloat. And when I pulled the deer out of the pond five days later, he looked like I had shot him the evening before. Wow. He wasn't bloated. He didn't stink. It was like he had been preserved in ice water for five days. Yeah. Wow. And I messed the cape up. There was nothing wrong with the cape. Mm. I messed it up because it was Christmas Eve and I was in a hurry. By the time I got him out of the pond and got him back to my house, I didn't have much time and we had to leave and go have Christmas with my wife's family. And I was trying to hurry up and get him caped because in my mind I'm thinking it's been five days. I definitely got to go ahead and get him caped out and taken care of now, you know, because it's you know, I'm already I don't know what's going to happen here. And I got in a hurry and I I cut wrong and cut into the brisket and ended up having to get another cape. So. Out of all these mounts, I only have one that doesn't have it. And I have one. The one I was talking, I was telling you about earlier where the broadhead came out of the throat. That deer actually went, uh, he got, I shot him. And one of the most, one of the most gruesome shots in, in, far, in terms of just lethality that I've ever made on a deer with a bow and arrow. But I watched him go about 60 yards and I saw two coyotes get on him and start chasing him. Wow. And they chased him until he died. I mean, they chased him until they caught him. And he went a mile. Darn. And this deer had, I mean, I went, it, like I said, it was sticking out of his throat. 
I mean, it went all the way through him and out of his throat, and it was ba- it was bad news. So he wouldn't have went very far at all if, if if it wouldn't have been for that. But he went so far that he went onto somebody else's property, and by the time I got over there and got him, I couldn't get in touch with anybody to use their access road to get in there and get him. I had to actually cape him on the ground because mm. I had to quarter him up to get him out of there. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to cape that one out and preserve that cape, but the one – from the pond is the only one I didn't get to. And another another interesting story. The, yeah, I gave you a cape this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the there was the, that was the deer I killed in Kansas. And I I I was gonna skull mount him and shoulder mount the one from Missouri. Well, if you go to the uh, Scree's YouTube channel, I did a video on how to cape out a buck. And if you watch that video, that's the cape that I gave you. <laughs> well, I'm looking at it right now. It's on. Uh, it's already mounted up. It looks great. <laughs> Well, so somebody's got my somebody's somebody's got my cape. And it's a stud, too. So uh, I, 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 you'll see a picture of it. It looks, it looks really good. <laughs> awesome. Well, so I, I I recognize the fact that like I'm really weird in the fact that my lack of experience in the outdoors as a kid kind of like has uh, that built my viewpoint towards taxi, you know, shoulder mounts essentially. And I, 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 like you said, you can look at all those deer and tell the story. I can do that with my antlers, but I know that I'm the oddball. And I was thinking about it while you're telling your story, Locke. The thing that will get me, I think, heavily on the taxidermy train is going to be when my kids start shooting them. Mm-hmm. Because they, like, I, I have, like, I don't want to say avoid because that sounds sad. My, it's not like I had a child, sad childhood or anything. I just had a different childhood. But but y'all have uh, different experiences with animals and your fathers and history and all that stuff that, that I never had. But I want to have that for my kids. And so my kids now as four and two-year-olds are deer obsessed. Like I get home and they, they my two-year-old, deer, 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 deer. They want to show me my own deer every day when I get home, like I've never seen it before ever. And he's been waiting for me, waiting to show it to me all day. And my wife's like, he never shows me that thing. He waits for you to get home and show you that deer every single day. Like it's like, it's like 51st days, you know, Mm -hmm. where you forget everything every day. And, um, and so that like for them to have a shoulder mount on the wall, that would be really special for them so that's the the exception i think that'll get me on to it but it was just something that was never a part of my life so i was i killed the see i killed that deer i killed that deer in 2017 i killed that deer when i was 31 years old so i was 31 when i got my first uh deer worth mounting if you will um so i just was you know you're talking about entire life half a lifetime of not even knowing that this really exists or or, mm-hmm. or is an option to yeah. me, you know. So. That, I guess, Brian, it's, uh, you know, going into taxidermy, I mean, you have children, you know, young children as well and, and boys, right? I have a boy and two daughters. Well, and not, well, girls hunt just as much as boys do as well. So, I mean, I guess going into taxidermy full-time could be a cost savings for you. Down the road. <laughs> yeah well I, I my my tax army bill is pretty high every year so it's kind of like one of the can't beat them joining kind of <laughs> yeah. thing well we we talked about my son a good bit in this episode and i can tell you that you know kind of what i i talked about just a minute ago with myself growing up 
I'm creating a monster because he wants to mount everything. You know, like, now, he's killed a couple of deer that were worthy of mounting, and he's after another one that's bigger than either of those. But, I mean, you know, to your point, Kyler, with kids, it's special for a kid. It is. You know, it's very special for a kid to get a deer mounted. And uh, he's, you know, we I have two boys, and one of them doesn't really hunt. When I say doesn't really hunt, he doesn't hunt at all. And, um, you know, we have two upstairs bedrooms and they're kind of getting to that age where they're about to, we're about to lose our guest bedroom because they're, they're about to split up, you know, we're about to have a breakup in the household. And, uh, you know, that's all my older son wants to do is just litter the entire room with taxidermy. You know, he, every squirrel he kills every, you know, he, I, I tell you a funny story, um, before we wrap up, I, when I was on my trip, um, uh, to uh to the midwest you know he killed his deer that that you have that you're mounting the one he killed with his bow um he killed it at halloween well it wasn't but like a week later i left to go up on my missouri and kansas hunt and so he's fresh off of killing a deer and us caping it and going through that whole process and getting it you know to you for 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 getting it mounted and all and um while i'm gone he kills a squirrel in the yard with a pellet gun and uh this is a big deal because he's been trying to do this for a while. I don't know, uh, like, why it got stuck in his crawl, but he had decided, hey, I'm killing one of these squirrels in the yard, you know. And uh, so he kills a squirrel in the yard, and I'm on my trip hunting, and I start getting phone calls, and it's his mother and him. And he's convinced his mom he can't just skin it because he's going to mount it. <laughs> you know, and there, so I had to, like, go through this whole, which, and long story short, we're not mounting the squirrel. But um, my poor wife had to uh, go through the whole skinning process because he's he is <laughs> she had to skin the squirrel because first of all we you know he's got to eat what he kills and he did he ate the squirrel my wife had to handle it and he's flipping out because he's like you can't cut it like that mom I can't mount it if you cut it like that <laughs> it's just it's just a mess I'm like dude you're gonna kill a lot of stuff if you hunt as much if you keep hunting the way you are now you're gonna kill a lot of stuff you got to understand that it's cool to have taxidermy but you can't mount everything that you shoot <laughs> you know but but to the point for kids it's a special thing you know it's really special for a kid so um last question and this has to do with kind of the preservation I, I thought about I'm glad I thought about it before we wrap up here because I've kind of always wanted to know are there you know going back um I'm assuming taxidermy, like everything else in the world, evolves, right? Like the the, the techniques and the, the the tools and things that you use, I'm sure they come up with new and improved methods of doing things. Uh, I mean, are we at a point now where you can expect the lifespan of taxidermy? I mean, are, are, are the products and tools and stuff that you're using, um, is the preservation better? Because I know a lot, of, a lot of older mounts I've seen, they seem to degrade pretty heavily over time. Um, have they improved that in the taxidermy world? I would say so. They they, they do look a lot different, but you, but I'm looking at an old mount now from uh, who knows how long, 40 years ago probably, and it, they're preserved. They're well-preserved, but they do age. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I'm not sure if we look at one of these new ones done, what it's going to look like in 40 years, but uh, they, they're very well-preserved, uh, and they do have a different – I don't know if it's just a, a newer look compared to looking at some older mounts and, and we t- we've actually taken in a lot of older mounts that uh people want us to just revamp you know clean up and fix up and we've done that with several and they, they come out really well well that's that i guess that's a good point to make uh, you know on your behalf as well as just for people's information if 
if you inherit an old mount from your grandpa or something like that, there there yeah, is yeah. a process for for a taxidermist to go through and kind of revitalize that. And and hey, absolutely, I've got a whole wall in here right now of things that people from turkeys to fish to deer people have brought me and said, uh, you know, can you do anything with this? Or, or, you know, something they're not happy with. Say, can you do anything with this? And I'm like, sure, you know, I can absolutely do something with that. And I'll, t- and I'll, I'll go with it through it with the customer. And, you know, what are the, what are you looking to, to do with this? And, and, and I'll, I'll accommodate however I can. And, and we, we, we get it looking real, you know, real nice. So. Awesome. Well, that's, um, <clears throat> good info. And, um, you know, before we wrap up, I'm going to give you the chance to just kind of tell everybody the best way to get in touch with you, where to find you, and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're located here on uh, Highway 48 between Liberty and Centerville, and it's kind of between Gloucester as well. It's kind of centrally located. Uh, we got a big white sign at the road, taxidermy shop. My number's out there, 601-248-6945. You can call me anytime. I'll work with you any way I can. And we have a Instagram page. It's uh, at the taxidermy shop. Cool. Very nice. Well, I hope uh, I hope everybody, um, hot or or maybe on the cold front or otherwise, has enough success this year to 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 have a reason to look you up. That's what we're hoping. That's for, right. so. well, we appreciate we appreciate all our customers. Well, uh, one thing I need to do before we wrap up, Kyler. I said uh, earlier this week that I was going to announce the winner of the. Uh, the review contest we did a we did a contest oh, yeah. yep we did a contest that uh, we asked scree has been um very gracious and supported the podcast all year long and and so we we decided to do a little thing where we ask all of our users or not users you guys aren't users um followers and the contributors for louisiana bow hunter to if you've bought any scree gear to send us a review and uh just give us a review of the gear and um we were going to going to draw randomly from that that to uh pick a, a, a one of those reviews to win a, a gear pack from louisiana bow hunter uh some of our hat and t-shirt and, and louisiana bow hunter gear and we were going to do that at christmas so we did that and um with this being the, the podcast after christmas the winner is tori terrio so tori terrio from sulfur uh send us in a review we appreciate you supporting our supporters and following louisiana bowhunter i will be getting in touch with you if you are listening on this podcast if not you'll just hear from me and uh we'll, we'll get your information but we appreciate that and and uh well, well now hold on now that i know that because i didn't know that you 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 picked the winner or i don't know how you drew for it or, or whatever but that's because i know tori but i don't i don't think you know this do you remember when i was in oklahoma and mm-hmm. i posted that picture of a Louisiana boat trailer in Oklahoma, or just I said, you yeah. know, every coon ass that's hunting the Midwest brought their boat or something like that. There's not a boat launched by you or blue mm-hmm. that didn't have a coon ass boat. It was Tory Terrio's boat trailer, oh. and I did I did not know that he was there in the same place that we were, and I, that was his boat and his truck, uh, and oh. he, in which was ridiculous because he had texted me a few days before, but we had never. I don't ask people where they're hunting. You know, that's not no. something that I do. And so I, I posted a picture, and he's like, hey, that's my truck. Are you, are you here? <laughs> and I'm like, no way. So that's funny. That's cool. Yeah. He's a great, so, great guy and big follower. Yeah, so, I mean, we just did a random, draw, drew a name out of a hat from all the names that submitted, and we had a we had a good number of submissions, so we appreciate that. And uh, appreciate everybody supporting our supporters and the brand, Brian included. If you kill a deer, give Brian a call. 
we appreciate you, Brian, supporting the podcast this year as well. And uh, yeah, thank you, buddy. Wish you continued success with your uh, with your taxidermy business. I know, I know, I know. I you know because I I'm kind of in the same community as you, and I speak to you uh, pretty frequently. I know you're doing well, and like you said, you got a bunch of deer coming in, so you got a lot of work to do. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. So very good. Well, thank you for joining us, man. Hey, wish everybody a happy new year. Um, follow us online, follow us all the different social media, Instagram, and share your pictures with us. We always looking for content and like to share pictures of, 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 uh, people hunting and deer that they've taken from around the state. That's something that, that we love to do. So share that with us and we'll get you out there and, uh, be safe. Enjoy the new year holiday and enjoy this cold front. Wish everybody success. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.